So these kind of things help you then to choose what you're going to do in terms of um, deciding on stretching, deciding on a DNS mobilization or stabilization, for, and what the parameters will be, because now you go, oh, there is a limitation here, so I'm going to have to modify this exercise on this side, but I don't need to modify it on the other side. Um, another aspect was bundling assessments. Uh, because, you know, one assessment is not a statistic, as Yander said, you know, one test is not a, does not a statistic make. So you really have to start putting together uh, assessments that belong to the trunk, assessments that belong to the upper extremity, assessments that belong to the low extremity, assessments that belong to the neck, shoulder, girdle, and that get bundled with orthopedic testing for those areas, neurological testing for those areas, a range of motion assessment for, so that in the end you have a battery of standard things that you do do for ferreting out what kind of syndrome am I dealing with. It sounds uh, so like you're integrating a bunch of things together and putting them into an integrative assessment. I, that sounds like a great idea. Very smart, <laughs> Dr. But that is it. You have to put things together so that they make sense and they're easier to analyze. Um, so, for instance, um, I can have forward bending, I can have rocking back and forward in quadruped, and I can have supine knee to chest. That gives me information about how the hip joint um, is affected and how the spine is affected when the legs are loaded and elongated, when the leg is flexed at the knee and no longer weight-bearing uh, from the foot up to the knee, and there is no sciatic tension from that segment, and then when I can just move the hips in supine, allowing the knee to flex maximally or not, and looking at the available range of motion just at the hip mm. uh, with the spine resting on the table. So now I have enough information to go, is the limitation of forward flexion dependent on a knee to foot, hip to knee, or in the hip joint alone? And then you have a you have some information you can use. Yeah, some actual otherwise, useful information. Uh, yeah, otherwise one one test doesn't help you. You see, if the patient bent forward, they can't touch their toes. Well, good luck. That's right. all you saw. So um, being able to then go, okay, now is what I'm seeing from that an indication of nerve adverse neural tension of some sort or muscle uh, restriction, ligamentous restriction or a joint restriction. And so immediately now you have a, a logical algorithm which leaves you free to um, look now at what kind of systems 
are involved in this neural muscular fascial ligamentous or uh, integumentary uh, system and, and calling then, out the integumentary system in this book. wow look at you look at you i learned it <laughs> Yeah, right. just learn about that this past I just, uh, <laughs> it was in my webster's word of the day <laughs> so i didn't want to lose it so um so again we are looking then at what systems are involved in the in this uh, dysfunction or syndrome uh, symptom uh, picture or syndrome picture and it starts to guide the rest of your of your investigation assessment so i think that that is really uh, uh trying to think logically through joints and what tests would what battery of tests would help you determine what systems are involved in that uh, in the dysfunction of that segment either as a load-bearing segment or as a um, moving segment, a phasic segment, and as a painful, pain-generating one, etc. That helps to um, then, you can then look at tests. Yeah, uh, and that, yeah, what you just outlined, again, makes uh, good rational sense because you, the, first of all, it's like the, the under. I always just go back to the understanding of the developmental process allows you to understand that muscles function in a variety of ways, pulling in, uh, in, in different directions, and that's based on where the weight bearing is. Mm -hmm. And for you to just, I, I'm, I'm sure most people don't, but they're not, might not necessarily think about it like this, but to do a forward bend test, you know, reach for your toes, that is the supports are in the feet, the trunk is moving on the hips on a fixed pelvis. That is, and if whether or not pain or symptom is produced there, um, if that's essentially your only kind of range of motion test that you're doing, that's very limited. And if you don't even realize that that's what's going on, you don't even realize you're limited, where using, using that developmental perspective get, allows us, okay, well, what other ways do does the pelvis uh, relate to the hip and the trunk and how can we move one on the other or vice versa and it's utilizing this the, the positions or the movements that you said whether or not you're going to round them forward from standing whether or not you're going to ask them to take their knees to toward their chest from a knee bent position or not a knee bent position um this is you know it does start to make you think more logically about what you're actually doing when you do these tests yes. you're placing it into the right category it's they have a problem with differentiated function of the hip they don't have a problem with undifferentiated function right. you know, things like exactly. that exactly so then tripod for example tripod position what's tripod i'm not familiar with it. <laughs> <laughs> the tripod position uh, does help you now you have a differentiated support function and Let's say you have the patient in high half kneeling and he folds himself forward and hinges himself forward into tripod and you see the spine deviate. And then you can see that the, uh, the statics or the dynamics around the hip is now affecting 
the range of motion that is available to the spine. So, and you're kind of saying that as opposed to um, if they just stood in front of you and bent over and they right. generally did yeah. that okay. Yes. You may not, or if you, they stood forward and bent forward and they were crooked, you have to know if both limbs contribute to the crookedness or only one limb contributes right. to this crookedness. And yeah. therefore, tripod would help you because it would put one limb, the limb that is forward, under more extreme tension, and you would see if that made the spine as crooked as you'd seen it or close to, as opposed to the other limb forward. So these kind of things help you then to choose what you're going to do in terms of um, deciding on stretching, deciding on a DNS mobilization or stabilization, for, and what the parameters will be, because now you go, oh, there is a limitation here, so I'm going to have to modify this exercise on this side, but I don't need to modify it on the other side. And so if you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more like it, then please like this video and subscribe to our channel. You can also stay up to date on our latest seminars on our social media pages on Instagram and Facebook, at IMTR Seminars.